everybody. This is Sean J. Patrick Carney. I started a website recently called humorintheabject.com. On it, I'm going to be posting a lot of different writing about art and comedy and other things like that that interest me. Um, I write for other outlets, but this is an opportunity for me to produce content a little more frequently. And uh, part of that content, hopefully moving forward, is going to be a pretty regular podcast. And today, uh, I would like to bring you the very first podcast of Humor in the Abject, and that is going to be an interview with a good friend of mine, Darcy Wilder. So yes, this is Humor in the Abject, the podcast, and I'm very excited for this first episode to have Darcy Wilder on. Those of you who are frequent internet users, especially heavy Twitter users, will recognize her no doubt as at three, 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 a whole bunch of threes, a four, and then some more threes. She also tweets as part of MTV News. Part of the reason that I want to have Darcy on was because she has a relatively new book, Literally Show Me a Healthy Person, that has just been put out by Tyrant Books. Darcy did some really wonderful press and interviews leading up to it, and as she and I talked about doing another interview for Humor in the Abject, we thought we might put it off a little bit before the book becomes available on Amazon. And also because I felt like Darcy's somebody who has a lot to say, and if you only know her through 140 character blips here and there, or you've only read her book, you might not entirely understand the kind of breadth of her thinking and the depth of her persona, and just what kind of a warm and generous person she is. And I want to say thank you to Darcy for spending some time with me, uh, and thank you to the folks at Kickstarter for letting me use the podcast studio here to put this interview together for all of you. I could do a little get to know me at the beginning of this podcast, but I don't really see how that's relevant because what's interesting are the people that I'm bringing in to talk to. So without further ado, let's just go right ahead and dive in. Here is my interview with the one, the only, the inimitable Darcy Wilder. Stay in your seat. I mean, ba- I mean, the first thing that I wanted to say was uh, I want to say thank you for coming to Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> I know that I know that you don't like to do that. Cross the bridge. Yeah, which bridge did you take? I took the oh man, I took the E, uh, and it's weird that I don't live in Brooklyn. And every time I, every time someone asks, like in New York, the first question is where do you live, and everyone is always like Bed Stuy or Bushwick or somewhere wherever. And I have to say Hell's Kitchen. And I'm like, I know it's weird. <laughs> and then I have to like launch into like the um, like the rent control laws of the 1970s <laughs> that like allow me to live there and like explain the whole story. But I took the E, and then this never really happened. Like I never get off a train because it's uncomfortable. But there was like a smell, <laughs> and so I got off the train, and then the M train came. I couldn't take that take them, so I had to wait for the E, which was like longer. And then I had. Do you have like the thing where um, you wish you you're scared that the smell is on you? Yeah. And then uh, yeah, I like had that the subway smell. Not yeah. not. I mean, oh, it was a person. I'm talking about a different like when you go into the restaurant subway. And <laughs> yeah, and you smell like that like <laughs> like like crusted bread. But the, the whole day. if it, I mean I don't know if it makes you feel better when I like all my relatives of the Midwest and when I tell them uh, or they say yeah, oh you live in New York you know uh, where do you live and I say Brooklyn they're like oh not in New- not in New York City oh I'm my like, god it's, uh, I t- whatever so, <laughs> but you grew up in Manhattan yeah well like technically um, like Washington Heights Inwood so it's like super far there's from- another there's another person from Washington Heights who who is oh no who might have written a very popular musical well a retelling i've never a retelling of the story of of washington heights of ham well first yeah i think and then hamilton oh i know i knew who you're talking about and i was trying to know it (laughs) yeah pj lives uh, in in washington heights wait what oh now after after (laughs) everyone's so proud of that musical (laughs) 
Yeah, they're very proud of themselves, I'm sure. You went to <laughs> SUNY Purchase for film. Uh, first of all, I just want to say go Panthers, Division oh Three Skyline Conference, right? Um, what, <laughs> so, if anything. Yeah, what kind of film were you interested in while you were at SUNY Purchase? Like, What were you making and what were you looking at? Oh, I was really insufferable when I was there. Um, I uh, It was a BFA with, then? I was a BFA. Yeah. I, I did BFA. F- yeah, I was a, a BFA undergrad in a class of 17 students and so i was like the one where i was I was like complaining that like no one was weird enough mm. because there's a history of like weirdness in the school and then everyone was like oh it's getting like broy and fratty which is like not really now but it was everyone was like um so i was really into like whatever was like authentically independent or diy or weird the crispin glover yeah, but even we like he would be too like mainstream because you knew his name <laughs> and stuff. Oh, and then um, right before the summer before I showed up, I loved Mumblecore, and then I showed up hating Mumblecore, or maybe I like liked Mumblecore for like a semester, and then I was like, no, it sucks. Is that the that's like the Apatow stuff? Wait, is Mumblecore like, um, like Michael Sarah? Like Duplass, like uh, but Hannah takes the stairs. What's that? It's um, I think it's Duplass Brothers. And then there was another one name he went to like harvard or taught at harvard maybe for film but it was like oh man i forget all the names but you know like the stuff where it's like oh they shot it without a script on like oh, a yeah. dv like, like that type of stuff yes and then i got into san soleil and like did like experimental documentary so i don't know if i had the like no, now looking back i like wish i had a better I, I got a lot of experience making things and like thinking about art but i feel like I could have gotten a. I could have learned more about actually writing a script and getting a job. <laughs> like I think that that's not different from uh, a regular art school. So d- they do have classes called professional practice. Um, yeah. And in professional practice, uh, when I taught it, um, the whole class I taught it at uh, PNCA in Portland for I think like just a semester or two. Um, but the whole class was I was just helping them write their thesis proposal, which is. Not exactly professional. Pro- I was yeah. like, should we show them how to do their taxes or something? Oh, I mean, God. I still don't know. Yeah. And I, w- I was teaching them, but that's... Oh. I'm glad to hear it crosses over into film school, too, that there's absolutely no uh, preparation for outside life. We had a... Uh, we did have a producing class at the end, which is, like, one of the producers of, like, Blue Valentine, but... And it's, like, in high school, there was a class where they taught us how to do our taxes, but it was senior year, so no one... Everyone was like, who cares? It's the same experience <laughs> in, like learning about paperwork and like actual things that matter as like the taxes class which was just like oh we can like learn this online yeah i felt like that with typing in seventh grade but i'm extremely happy that i took a a typing class and that i can touch type we had to we took it on typewriters like how to what's the difference between typing and touch typing touch i just mean like where you don't look at the keys like you've memorized the keyboard which now seems kind of second nature with phones and things like that but at the time, it was really, really difficult. And I remember finally learning it and kind of being able to type X amount of words per minute. And then when I got to college and I would see my instructors try to be using computers and like mm-hmm. punching a single finger on every single one got of them. finger jockey. I just didn't understand. Like they don't have rote muscle memory. Yeah. It's not that, it's not that tough. I rem- just, that reminded me of this embarrassing, weird thing from being a kid where <laughs> that I haven't, can I tell you? Yeah, never yeah. To- okay. <laughs> it doesn't really, it doesn't have any, it doesn't fit This in. is an exclusive. Yeah. Excellent. Hasn't been tweeted before. Oh. But I wanted to be, like, when I, I think I must have been, like, eight or nine, and I decided that I wanted to be, like, a ball boy for the New York Yankees. <laughs> and um, my parents were like, they don't let girls do that. And I was like, what if I ask them? And then I, I was going to write an email to wherever. But then I decided, like, oh, man, but it's got to be really good, so I'll I'll type like touch like touch type like I'll type it out really well like mm. in order to be a ball boy I have to be really good at typing this email and Whoa. then I just gave up because and then it, because then it became more about learning how to type really well without looking at the keyboard <laughs> and then I never sent the email and never became a ball boy for the New York Yankees that's well I, I think got that, very distracted but that's how you learned to touch type no I think I just learned by being on the computer a lot yeah. I gave up on all like I was I was a I gave up on a lot of things. I used to send, um, what is, is it called? A, when you write a, like a spec script is where yep. you just go out to LA and you don't know anybody and you're like, mm-hmm. I wrote a, I wrote an episode of 
um, How I Met Your Mother or something, and you, and you try to do it. I did that with uh, character development for the Ninja Turtles. Oh, when my God. When I was gosh. a kid, and I would draw uh, characters that I thought would be really good. And uh, my mom told me that she would mail them in. I was oh. like seven or eight, and she was mailing them to whoever. I don't know where I thought she got the address, but I don't think she was actually mailing them. But I did get a framed uh, photocopy of one of them a couple years ago from my mom that had um, Bug Guy. He was a he's a bug man, and uh, another guy who I can't remember what he did, but that was, you know, I was also trying to get a job from a very young age. Yeah, I was like very industrious. We were more industrious <laughs> okay. as children than we uh, were post college. Imagine if you had worked for the Ninja Turtles and you could always be like, oh, when I was. Yeah, that's how I got the job. <laughs> you just start putting in hours. What did, what was Session. what is purchase like? Oh, okay. Um, I've never been there. It's in it's, Westchester. Yeah, and it was built during this like it's the the it's the brutalist style architecture. So there are bricks mm-hmm. everywhere. Or when I w- they redesigned, so now it's a little bit better, or it's a little bit more green. But it was just there were no like you walk on these. Um, like brown bricks that are like yeah so this the campus or the city oh the campus the there's campus. no city of purchase so it's the closest city is like white plains oh which um like my grandpa lived in for a bit because he dated someone from there but yeah so it's there's no city and it's a pretty like uh, rich town like I know I looked on the Wikipedia page and it said that the uh, average annual income for a household is $352,000 a year that's so much money it also noted that Time magazine said that that was one of the highest annual oh incomes of a household that's so yeah um there's a Starbucks on campus that at, uh, I think freshman or sophomore year a car went through the window of but any, but um people would see the manager of the new york yankees coming up a lot for some reason but the manager of the new york yankees lives in purchase and would like be there or something um he was in the starbucks when the car went through the wall no that's just another a side anecdote (laughs) that i can't every time i bring up the starbucks there i have to say and the car went through the window there um and uh wait so there's not a there's not like a um i just assume that any university that's not in uh, like a major metropolitan area has that kind of like divide between like, oh, like I went to yeah. Grinnell College I didn't go there as a student but I went to mm-hmm. visit there um, like a year ago Dre and I went with uh, Renan Johnson and there's like a stark contrast between yeah. where this like liberal arts college ends and then where the townies yeah uh, that's their word not yeah. the townies word the students called them the townies and there's okay. kind of this like weird um it was very divided. Yeah. It was very obvious that there was like the fancy college, but I mean, there's that. There's no, there's nowhere that anyone in purchase like there are no uh, sidewalks. So I don't understand what the so people. Strange. Who are the people who are making three hundred fifty-two thousand dollars a year? Because like city. executives. Oh, it's across the street from the Pepsi corporate headquarters as well. I heard about that, and I wanted to ask if you've been to the Kendall Sculpture Garden at the Pepsi headquarters because I was reading about that also. What? Which? Which sculpture is that? I don't know. It's a sculpture garden. It says oh, they I've, have. Oh, I've like been a, to the sculpture like garden. Like a Klaus Oldenburg oh. and things like oh, that. Oh yes. Um, and it's at Pepsi's campus. Yep, I've been in the sculpture garden <laughs> a lot. Um, people would go after the hangover wore off, and then they would just walk there, and then come back, and do not like it's not. Yeah, it's oof. Is it a party school? It's like um. It's like a drink on a couch with your friends a kickback kind of school. yeah mm-hmm. yeah i but my also experience there there wasn't that much time for partying because of the program i was in so all the film people just had to spend a lot of time with each other and then i tried to rebel against that a little bit but i mean it's like a dr- it's a heavy on drinking but it's not like a broy yeah. place or wasn't that's I have a very, like my undergrad, was, I went to Michigan State University yeah. first for a couple of years, which was um, I definitely the first uh, the first weekend that I was there, I went to a, a house party, not a fraternity party, but at a at a place on Stoddard Street, mm-hmm. which was near the campus. And I think I I think I took LSD at this party and I, it was my first weekend oh my at God. college. And I like went to this punk show and I was like, oh, my God, college rules. And. I went back to my dorm, which was called the Brody Complex, and the next morning I like called my mom and 
she's like, how's, you know, how's your first weekend going? And I was like, it's really fun. I, um, I went to this house party last night and I saw these bands and like I used to play music and my mom was like, oh, that's good. I'm glad you're making friends. Where was mm-hmm. the, cause she went to Michigan state and she was, and so did my dad. That's where they met. And she mm. was like, where was the party? And I was like, I was on Stoddard street. And she was like, really? Where on Stoddard street was it? And I was like, I don't know, mom. It was at this place called the, the chicken shack. It's like a punk house or something. She's like, was it 170 Stoddard? And oh I was my like, God. I, I think so. And she's like, that's not the chicken shack, honey. That's the chicken Dixie house. That's where your father and I lived in college <gasps> together. And I was like, I was doing LSD in my mother's college. Oh house. my gosh. That's, yeah. My, um, that's crazy. When I, that reminds me, I told my, when I got into purchase and I told my grandma mm-hmm. and she, she and my uh, grandpa got divorced in the, because like, of that. <laughs> yeah. Late <laughs> in the, <laughs> I will not have my granddaughter. <laughs> but do you agree? Um, they got divorced in like the seventies, when it, like when not a lot of people got divorced, yeah. and uh, they like fought. And she just very ele- she's always like an elegant person. She was just like very calmly said, "Your grandfather left me at purchase." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> we we're like, what? She was like, we had a fight. He took the car. I had no. I had to. I had to take the Metro North back home. And it was just like a very calm thing. And it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> and we're gonna take a quick break <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute with some more from darcy wilder hey do you hate banking so do i i don't like to go to the bank i don't like to go to the credit union i don't trust them nobody trusts them But you know you can trust is your friends, and especially artists who look out for other artists. And today's uh, episode of Human the Abject is sponsored by an organization that understands what artists need, especially when it comes to financials and planning uh, and investments and things like that. So, you know, I want to just spread the good word today to you folks with one of our sponsors, which uh, is pretty special to me. Um, It's called Bank of Ages. And Bank of Ages isn't FDIC insured because fuck the FDIC. I don't know what they do and neither do you. The important thing about Bank of Ages is that it's built on a mutual understanding of exchange. It's relational aesthetics of finance. The point here is that Bank of Ages offers you an opportunity to invest your money smartly without any unethical consumption or investment or anything like that. Bank of Ages is is unique in that Bank of Ages is a shoebox that's under my bed in my apartment. It's cash only. When you come to make a withdrawal, I've got your cash sitting in a box. We also don't have very regular hours, which makes it very difficult for you to make a kind of like spur of the moment online purchase or to fuck around at an ATM at three o'clock in the morning and take out a couple hundred dollars because you and your friends want to make some terrible choices that you're really going to regret in the morning. I probably won't even be awake if you text me to come get the money. So the point is that if you go to humantheabject.com, scroll down a little bit in the blog, there's a whole post about Bank of Ages that I did to kind of encourage you and spread the good word. So when you get a chance, navigate over to humorintheabject.com and, um, you know, contact me there. To sign up for Bank of Ages today, uh, make sure to divest from those blood-sucking corporate money institutions. This is pretty cool, though. Um, it's... Yeah. And it's like when I oxcore DJ'd at uh, before Left Field closed. What is that? Left Field's like a bar, like Ludlow. And then, I, like I, I forgot that the last time I had done it, I was like, I'm never doing this again. And I agreed to do it again. And I was, uh, it was I was going on at like two, and I don't really like ox DJing. And I open up my co- and I'm a Spotify DJ because I don't know how to do it. And I realized that I didn't even have Spotify on my computer. So seven minutes before I was downloading Spotify, after like Kitty, like the musician Kitty is like in oh, I her thought you meant the band. Yeah, the metal band. Wait, Wait really? Are they metal? No, no, it was like Kitty, like Kitty, formerly Kitty Pride. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, she was uh, like an actual DJ, <laughs> and then I'm like opening like 
that like package. And you were headlining above. I was not. No, I was the. Cl- <laughs> I was. I was the get people out of here. Oh, okay. That's good. What do you spin when you're oxcore DJing? I've only been inter- in. I've only been invited to emo nights. Emo nights. I so. went to. I went to an emo night at. Um, and for anybody who's listening, and if you know the, if you know the owners of this establishment, it's around the corner from my house, the Three mm-hmm. Diamond Door. <laughs> um, the very underground Bushwick, Bushwick. Um, I I would like to I would like to mention that I did go to emo night there um, inadvertently. I I didn't have a problem with it. I liked a lot of the music that was being mm-hmm. played, but um, I did hear a back to back playing of At the Drive-In and AFI, neither of which um, qualify in that in yeah. that category. No, um, I I'm very vocal about this, and I left at work. There's an emo Slack channel that I. I didn't storm out of it, but for the sake, I'll s- I stormed out of it because of my very righteous beliefs that there's emo and there's pop punk yeah. and then there's scene. And I don't think that people very loose with the w- the term emo. Mm. And it's like, I don't think My Chemical Romance has any business being labeled as an emo band. They're a scene band. They're a scene band. Yeah, I would say they're sort of like a theatrical, uh, a theatrical pop punk band like a thinking yeah, man yeah like or a yeah or fallout boy which i think is a pop punk band very much so De- yeah they're definitely good charlotte not. pop punk when fallout i was boy. when i was a baby <laughs> like sunny day real estate was emo yeah and things like Same. that and that's what that's what i thought it was and mm-hmm. then it turned into something else and that was that was fine with me because i i don't totally care but i did take issue with um i did take pretty deep issue with afi being played at an emo night and you know, I'll, I'll. What would you label AFI? Uh, you know, they don't like to be labeled. I've, I've heard a lot of interviews. They're genre bending. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. You know, there was uh, early. Answer that and stay fashionable was pretty like what I would say is like pop hardcore. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, I don't know. They got you know they did shut your mouth and open your eyes. That was pretty much straight hardcore. But they started to talk about the devil, which was pretty mm. fun. And then uh. Black Sails in the Sunset, you know, that was their, like, that was their, like, Led Zeppelin 4 kind mm-hmm. of record. It was really, really big and beautiful. They did a couple slow songs on it. Ar- then uh, Art of Drowning, that was a, <laughs> that was a good record. Uh, after that, I kind of fell off because yeah. I could, I was un- old enough to drink. Um, and, yeah. I remember um, Davey Havoc doing an interview and saying he was a Mac girl. Oh. He, had, he, bought his, um, lips, he bought his lipstick at Mac, and then I was just like, wow, he must be rich oh he's i think so but did you, i, I mean, show you the thing did i ever show you the picture of the when i was in like i guess i must have been a junior in high school my friends and i drove down to detroit to go to the state theater to see um afi was opening mm-hmm. for uh was opening for uh danzig and the other opening band was sam hayne which danzig is also in so danzig was opening for himself which was really exciting but, oh my god uh uh, the crowd definitely didn't like AFI. Uh, mm-hmm. It was right after Black Sails and Sunset came out. And it was like a bunch of Detroit Danzig fans, mm-hmm. which is like a very particular type <laughs> yeah. of person. And they weren't very thrilled. But they were all, the, the AFI guys were just sitting kind of in the back uh, at the end of it. And I was like, can I interview you guys for my punk zine? Which like didn't exist. I didn't mm-hmm. have a zine. And uh, they hand filled out my questions because it was so loud and i have these pieces of notebook paper oh my god i'm all four of them that's like, amazing filling things out Wait. and one of the questions was like what does it mean to be straight edge to you or something <laughs> <laughs> it was like <laughs> high off my rocker on michigan dirt weed it was oh just gosh. like i'm gonna try to play it really cool in front of these guys because they don't party yeah oh my god but also um the lying about having a zine <laughs> yeah. i feel like was a thing just like, <laughs> like you could just feel like that's like the most ooh. embarrassing thing to lie about i think to not even what's more embarrassing than having a zine is to be lying yeah, about to it yeah to pretend to be a zine poser yeah i had a web zine because i was and i was mad because i thought that zines died because i didn't like have any friends that had similar interests for a while so i was just like you know, and and then I so I didn't like see a zine for a long time, and then so I was actually doing interviews for a purpose, but they were just really bad. Hmm. And then I remember one of my first like boyfriend type character like characters in my life, where like people and he's a person, he's not a character. Um, he was always working on his zine, and he was just like, no one will, no one's getting their stuff together. What I've learned is, uh, you always get their email address, and it was just hmm. like everyone had a zine, they never came out. Yeah, did he have a title? He did, but I forget what it was. It was like the only thing he had. 
That's kind yeah. of. I mean, people do that with. But they start a band without yeah. any music or anything. Yeah. Um, when um speaking of speaking of zines um. So I didn't quite realize until I opened uh, your <laughs> book when you sent it to me that the beginning of it is from the zine that we did and a bunch of other people put work in. Um, yeah. And then I read in, because you did a bunch of interviews when it came out, and there was one in, I think it was in The Verge, and I think I'm saying the name correctly, is Caitlin Tiffany. But you said that you <laughs> kind of were writing some of it even in 2012, which is like when you finished school, right? Yeah, I remember with the intention of like creating a book or you were just amassing stuff no i was just uh i i thought of it as writing um and specifically writing but it was mostly on the 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 internet and i was like oh isn't it i was i thought it was really cool that you could use the like social media conceptually um but it, it wasn't like a i didn't have the intention of making it a book i think it went i went in and out of thinking of like different book projects that I could do yeah um but it wasn't for until summer of 2015 that I knew that I had more of a grasp on what it was but yeah so as I was graduating I was writing in this voice and every day I was writing a bit of flash fiction um that became yeah that w- there was your humor in the object class and then there was the zine and I was just putting I had like amassed a bunch of stuff and that I realized, I think it took me a long time to realize that like it could be that. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> I think the one, I was looking at it again today and I jotted down the, I mean, obviously it's, it started with the, um, the glasses thing, I think. Oh, right? yeah, it started yeah, with yeah. the Arthur glasses oh, thing, that's the beginning of the book. Which, which was, yeah, that was the first thing I had written in that voice. And it took me a few months after I wrote that to continue doing that. And that was on my OkCupid for, it was the, um, <laughs> what? It was the most private. There was a question that was like, "What's the mo- the thing you've never like the pri- <laughs> <laughs> the most like private thing you yeah, were yeah. like yeah?" And I yeah. was just like, "When yeah, I was really <laughs> or whatever. yeah, when I was eight. That's cool. I think when I had an, I think when I had an OK Cupid. What did I? I had, uh, I said one time I broke up with somebody in college because they didn't like soup, and. You don't get messaged on there a lot if you're a guy, but yeah. anyone that I ever did get, that was like the opening line. It was mm-hmm. like, hey, I like soup. And like, I was like, I can't imagine what women get on this thing. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to it talk so much. <laughs> but I think that the thing when you, when I first saw the list of stuff that we were going to put into that book, which later um, got into Literally Show Me a Healthy Person, was the one that I lost it at was the, I'd be a bad wife, but a good ghost. And oh, yeah. I think that was just like, the quip was, I mean, I really like one-liner comedy, and I think that's part of the attraction to Twitter and things like that, is that it's this, it, there's a forced brevity that's involved in it, and I think that, obviously, you're pretty adept at sort of the misdirection that's required in that, or things like that, and I don't know if that's, if you're thinking consciously when you're writing these things, or if some things are inadvertently jokes that you write, or if you're structuring stuff, or it's just like rapid fire, I'm going to blast oh. this thing out into the ether i think it's a mix i think as it goes on i had a really bad twitter for a while and then something changed i mean not that it's not bad <laughs> and not that every twitter isn't bad every twitter is bad and mine is uh even worse but um name names no don't well <laughs> <laughs> get, get a pen out oh Dar- um, darcy's showing me them on her phone right now i'm just <laughs> um S O C M A Sock um, Malpractice is a garbage account. Um, oh, but so now I feel like I write them less and now they just come into my head more written, but I think that it just took me thinking about what the tone would be and just uh, like being more adept at it. Um, to create like a rhythm, the way yeah. that you're thinking the things that you're going to say anyways. Yeah, exactly. And now I just kind of have that thing and then like i have other twitter accounts where it just actually does feel different which is weird where it's like now i mean my avatar has been the same for years and so it's kind of just like flowing but i feel like also what happened with like the one-liners and stuff and i mentioned this like a, a talk last night but um for me i've always not i've like always had a thing where i hated talking out loud until like a few years ago and always like was trying to be really um uh, really concise, but then also very definitive, like not definitive in that like, 
but just very clear and concise because I didn't want to be talking and also like I didn't want to explain myself and I was like scared of being misunderstood so it'd just be like that like whatever and then also just like growing up and like trying to get people to like me in that way like it was just like what are you bringing to the table like you can't just be yourself like you have to be funny and then like Mm -hmm. learning so like growing up that way you put in a lot of time and then twitter came (laughs) along and it was like oh perfect (laughs) um yeah when did you get like when did you crack like the 10k thing and you were like holy shit there's a lot of people reading this yeah i think that it felt i was a receptionist and then some people started finding my account because there was also a very people that you worked with no oh Oh my gosh no i was anonymous for very i mean like semi-anonymous where it's just like but you're doing wage theft at your job (laughs) and just tweeting while you're being a receptionist yeah Yeah. building your brand (laughs) um and then oh i think yeah i remember i started working for mtv and my boss had more followers than me and then when i passed him i was like suck it (laughs) and then um and then i hit 10k in like december of 2015 i guess and then i think but it didn't feel it feels like i don't have any actual tangible idea now and then in around halloween someone started buying me like sending me followers yeah some like anonymous troll and they're always there i mean but it's so ridiculous that and it's happening to a few other people that like like from other side like people that don't know each other like where i'm just like is there some weird twitter thing but then like people are like no it's just someone hates you that much that seems no do you remember i asked you um you connected me to manny right yeah because manny helped yeah you. manny shout was out, like shout out to manny yeah manny 404 love um, manny <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i was like darcy somebody bought me ten thousand followers yeah. and the ratio to faves is is really embarrassing like yeah. because they're obviously fake accounts and it looks like i bought them for myself yeah. and you were like somebody did that to me and then somebody else told me that that happened too and i was like what in the world is happening mm-hmm. then manny yeah, and then you did you tell me that manny like wrote you a script or something yeah and then like i dm'd him and i was like manny can you fix this problem and he's like dude go to this website and do this <laughs> thing like add three when things he made like, you do it no i just oh. had to like create i don't know what the fuck i'm yeah. talking about i had to create like a keychain or something oh yeah, yeah um yeah. and it took like maybe nine minutes all together even with my like um ineptitude sending mm-hmm. the things back to him and then he like sends me a dm and he's like watch them drop or something (laughs) (laughs) and i started looking and the number was just like i would refresh and i would feel so relieved it was exciting to watch just all this stuff go away because it felt like i felt like uh it's like have it's like pretending to have a zine yeah no it's like i have you know no and it's 13.4k followers and it's like no i don't even have uh, a fifth of that and that's well that's why followers don't mean anything to me now because i have no and it it really changed my like i have no idea who's reading it because i'm like well now i don't know how many of that like half of them might be fake like i think you only have like 30 like 30 to 35,000 followers only well i don't have 90 some people don't make and that then- a year <laughs> The out of touch influencer, <laughs> who, <laughs> who the, cool, how many? <laughs> that's a cool character. He well actually is, but doesn't really fathom yeah. what any of the like. How many followers do you have? <laughs> Ten thousand. How much is a banana? Ten thousand know, followers. You know what? The Waco compound. David Koresh only had eighty four <laughs> followers, and look what he accomplished. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just read, oh my god! I just—I don't know why I got this at the library, but I got *Ashes of Waco*. This book by—is it the really big one? Uh, it's pretty thick. Okay. Um, and the cover, because it was from the library, had like this uh, little bit of because it's a shiny or like a plastic cover over a hard cover, and and they put like this little black tape around the end of it. Um, so I misread the guy who wrote its name, and I thought it said Dick J. Beavis. And I was like, <laughs> what? But it was Dick J. Revis. But anyways, I don't know why I got Mr. that. Mr. Beavis. I got it at the I... library, and I read the whole thing, and it was it was really interesting, but I remember watching it on TV. But but the point is, David Koresh, you know, yeah. didn't have that many followers, it's... and he had a 51-day standoff with the ATF in the Texas region. It's like, bring yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> Like, what, is someone looking at you? Like You're influencing something. <laughs> like, you get on the got, subway every day and influence the world around yeah, you. Yeah, he got plenty of coverage. It was amazing. Um. Oh, wait, but that, wa- like, yeah, I, I think I was reading about that a few months ago, and I mentioned it to someone I work with, 
and she about was Waco. Waco. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, a lot of people don't know. I didn't realize how serious it was. It was insane. It's like it was like all that was horrifying. on TV when I was a kid. Yeah. And they like they were children. Yeah. And the pol- I mean the. I, this is not going to be like a Waco Truther podcast, but basically, <laughs> like, basically, the Branch Davidians are innocent man, and they didn't start mm-hmm. the fight, and they didn't burn their compound down. And I just want to go on the record as saying that human the abject for anybody out there listening is a, uh, you know, we side with the Branch Davidians. We don't share mm-hmm. their beliefs, but that. You know, it has to be nuanced. Fuck the alcohol, tobacco, and <laughs> firearms enforcement <laughs> agency. <laughs> um, now, after the book came out, it's been out for a little bit, and it's going to come out on Amazon soon, right? So yeah. that's going to be like I think that it's widely available. And previous yeah. to that, were people ordering it through Tyrant? Yeah, it was a Tyrant exclusive. Um, we did it that way, and. Thank you to everyone who actually bought it. I know. I mean, there is a shitload of people fucking tweeting that they got it. And well, I retweet. Excited. I retweet most of I them, so it just it's my, uh, probably an illusion. I would do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like. Um, well, I say I don't like self promotion, but I like making self promotion a joke. So then I was just like, this is <laughs> well, my thing. Always, like, I'm not going to tweet like buy my book. I'm just going to like keep retweeting it. It's always like, like outsourcing. It, it. <laughs> no, I, I'm not making fun of anybody who sent you a picture of the book because I think it's really cool that they bought it. But every Anytime that somebody takes a picture of a book that they bought and tweets it at the mm-hmm. author, it's always the exact same photo. It's like, where in my house am I going to hold this up yeah. in front of to get like the right fuzzy the background and like the this thing or that yeah. thing? Um, I, on the other hand, when I got my copy, laid it out with, I think, probably about 10 other books that oh, people yeah. that I knew had written and then tweeted out about how wonderful all of my friends who were authors were. So oh, I tried yeah. to I tried to let some other people kind of like yeah. steal your valor yeah. and kind of ride, ride the, that. Yeah. No, know, I remember seeing see that and being like being uh I felt very nice about who else you put in that thing and I was like, my book is next to I forget who Oh it was like Rindon Johnson and Amelia Gray, yeah. Andrew McGinty, mm-hmm. Ben Fama. Yeah. Monica McClure. I think yeah. there were a lot of there were a lot of uh, really good people in it. and I, I was I, proud to be among them. I can't remember when you sent it to me, but I don't remember what I was doing and I just like I was looking at your book and I just I think I'd finished reading it for the first time. I was just kinda looking at my bookshelf and I was like, Holy shit, my friends are like really incredible. Like these people put these things out and they go out into the world and then I it's just that. like Thank you for saying that, but I also have that realization with my friends where I'm <laughs> yeah. like, holy shit. Sorry if I cut you off. No. Like, I was especially like Andrew McGinty where I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> like, yeah. wow. Very, like. Well, she did. I did the first um, the first interview for the website, which was like a text interview with mm-hmm. her. But I, I had asked her a little bit about this, too. And I wanted to ask you about the book. But this kind of like now that it's out and it's in the world, I'd asked her, too, because she's she said some jokes on the Internet and stuff about this. But this kind of like. And, and I'm going to bastardize whatever she said because I don't remember exactly. But it was basically like the postpartum depression that happens after you mm. create something and you put it out into the world. And you're kind of like the thing that you've had this deadline with. And I've experienced that, too. And I think a lot of people have that once you complete it and it's out there, then there's like all of the other stuff that you kind of turned into white noise in your life that mm-hmm. you put off to the sides all of that anxiety comes pouring back in and you're like, oh God, I didn't pay that thing to the IRS. Or like, oh, yeah. I still need to like I'm answer, on the th- yeah, <laughs> answer this extremely serious email from like mm-hmm. several weeks ago or like, I don't know where I'm living in two months. Like yeah. all of these things like that. And I was curious if you had a kind of like mania before it started and then just like a crash afterwards. Well, kind of, maybe. But like I remembered, today I was remembering I went to like some place for food and I remembered sitting there drinking coffee and freaking out about the resolution of the avatar that's the cover of the book and how like out of control. I was just like, this is a, I made this like huge deal over it. And it's just like, I know Photoshop, like just fix it. Um, and having this like kind of frantic thing about it. And then like making sure that the Nate, like. Oh, you mean like the visual, like the pixel resolution yeah, of it the was actual like, cover. Yeah, it was like a pixel issue. And I was like, all right, I'll just. I it. thought it was hilarious. I kept thinking I got like a drop of uh, water on it. Yeah, no. It's, it's like a weird spot that looks like it has water on it. Yeah. And I was losing oh, my mind. I was like, fuck, I ruined this book already. And then everybody who put photos of it online, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's a thing. Okay, yeah. No. Yeah, no. It's like a, it's the, uh, because the avatar came from me zooming in as far as I could on my phone to the initial avatar that I had, which was a, an artist rendering of the OkCupid OK logo. <laughs> um, and then I switched over in 20 or something but yeah so like oh and that's the okay 
Yeah, it was a, uh, I was on OkCupid a lot in 2012. And so, but yeah, now it's something like, I don't, I don't think of the OkCupid logo when I see it. And it's different colors because I adjusted the colors, but. No, I didn't, that never occurred to me, but that's Um, very funny. Yeah. Oh, wait, but. That's a good thing to freak out about. Yeah, but then I thought it was um, good to have it low resolution. I thought it was cool to have it low resolution on the cover and not like a perfect. Like I like, like the. I like low resolution, like messy, pixel shit. But oh, the postpartum de- depression type thing. Um, I was really because I had been working on it a while. I was like, I was kind of anxious to get it out, and I just yeah. wanted it out also because i was thinking about how like i feel really different from the person that wrote it because i stopped drinking and so like i kind of wanted and now when i read back on it i don't know i kind of feel more um i don't i don't think i feel depressed that like things are winding down i feel like kind of relieved because i'm like that's uh, like who is the who is this like annoying messy girl that's (laughs) shouting everywhere um but and now I'm excited, like, for whatever is next and stuff. Like, I was kind of, like, surprised by the reaction to this, like, pleasantly surprised. Like, I was like, oh, everyone's being so nice and, like, great about it. Um, and the nicest thing that anyone said about it so far was, like, my friend um, was like, I'm so sick of people, like, seeing people Instagram your fucking book. <laughs> and I was like, That's so nice of you. But, yeah, I'm kind of just, like, relieved. No, that, that makes sense. And it's, um, I think, though, knowing you and recognizing a couple of like the scenarios in it in places like that that I was or something I mean you're pretty like you're pretty generous to the people that you're including in it and I don't mean that as like you're not giving them charity but I just mean you're not there's no part of it that sounds like you're really being vindictive or anything and I think even if you wrote the things in the kind of time when they were happening it feels very much like you had like at least an editorial eye to know Mm -hmm. kind of what to look at and where to make sure that it was kind of always basically self-reflexive like the humor that was going Mm. on and that you weren't really taking the piss out of anybody and it didn't seem like a a messy person who's running around yelling at people it seemed more like somebody who was kind of archiving all these things and looking back on it and and it felt very much like a a, a, fail to think of a better word and this is a shitty phrase but like a time capsule like here's this window of time during this period that's like uh, thing that a lot of people experience probably in that age range mm-hmm. like after college until like those first four years or something and I think that 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 resonated probably with a lot of people which is probably why people are reading it and being like I really found this like powerful not because it's like a party mm-hmm. book but yeah because they're like I did those things damn and it's interesting to think about it in that capacity yeah. you know thank you but yeah, yeah that um I was really scared. Like, I don't like vindictive things at all. Like, I hate that type of behavior. And I wouldn't... Another thing about, like, using material that's, like, based on things that have happened is, like, whose story is it to tell? So, like, I'm really nervous about, like, the parts about, like, my family in it. Because, like, how... I don't know. Like, my childhood, it's, like my brother and I were both there but who's you know it's stuff like that but with friends it's different too and also that like I'm I I don't think I would ever use like a like a book or a writing or like you know like a creative platform to be like fuck this person yeah yeah no But even so like people I've dated have been like very upset by shit like that I can imagine and I can see that but it doesn't seem like you can say whatever the (laughs) fuck you want man but no it doesn't I mean I'm obviously like a biased person because I know you having read it, but it didn't seem like that at all. And I think that that's something that I've appreciated about both the book, but also the way that you kind of like the way that you're funny online is it's um, it's just simply not mean. Oh, my God. And that's like and I think that that's a thing that's kind of but, you know, I fancy myself a writer and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I write a lot about art and things like that that interest me and. I've never really been moved to, um, unless it was supposed to be like a didactic satire to like mm-hmm. slam something because if yeah. I don't care about, like if I think something totally sucks and is shitty, I'm not going to put the time into writing something like creatively about yeah. it. I'll like, you know, you can criticize it in conversation or in some academic mm-hmm. setting, but the idea of spending the energy and the time to just be like, this thing is shitty mm-hmm. specifically as an individual thing. And I'm going to put all of my energy. It's important for me to sit like, yeah, I don't <laughs> like like the takedown. That's why I don't like the Twitter thing of just like screenshotting and roasting. 
But um, I'm also, yeah, I'm relieved to hear that because I'm always scared of being mean to someone. Like, I always like, I like making fun of the situation. Yeah, you're not a mean person. Things like that. But, like, no, someone, the other, I mean, a few months ago, I was like, I'm a nice person. And this guy I know was just like, you're kind of nice. (laughs) And I was like, that's good. You grew up in New York. You have to get by, too. But, um. Okay, we're going to take one more quick break to hear from our sponsors. uh, And then I'll be back with some more Darcy Wilder. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Most of you guys are listening to this completely for free. In fact, actually everybody is, besides the money that you paid for the device that you, uh, upon which you're listening to it, the internet that you're paying to access it, the headphones that you're using, or the speakers, etc. But the point is, is that, you know, maybe it's time that you thought about giving back to a shoebox under my bed. It's called Bank of Ages. And Bank of Ages is different because it's not a regular bank and it's not a... Uh, it's not a it's not a credit union either. It's also not an insurance company. We don't insure boats or cars or lives. We don't do any of that kind of shit. What we do is we bank in a way that people will remember for ages. So I'm going to encourage you to go over to humortheabject.com. Scroll down the blog. Go back a couple of weeks. You're going to see a post on there that I did about Bank of Ages. And I'm going to encourage you to click on that and read about some of our exciting opportunities. I think it'll really kind of change the way that you look at your personal finances. Like, for instance, do you have student debt? Do you owe money to the federal government or Sally Mae or some other private lending organization? Well, you know, eventually they can garnish your wages when you stop paying them back. If you're doing direct deposit, they're going to start to take that money straight out of your bank account at Citibank or Bank of America or Actors Credit Union or East Los Angeles Horticulture Credit Union or Chase Bank, or Bank of America, or any of the other banks that I said beforehand, but when you bank at Bank of Ages, the federal government can't come into my house. There are laws against that. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it's one of the uh, amendments to the Constitution that says that not only do uh, cops or federal agents or the IRS not have permission to enter my house, but I also do not have to Uh, give quarter to soldiers during peacetime. So there's very little chance that anybody is going to come and garnish your wages out of the cash that you put in the shoebox below my bed at Bank of Ages. So head on over to humortheabject.com. Scroll down a couple weeks back on the blog and check out uh, the offer that I'm putting out there on the internet for you. It's called called Bank of Ages. So uh, make sure to tweet with the hashtag Bank of Ages. Uh, You can tweet it at Humor in the Abject, which is at humor underscore the abject, uh, or tweet it to my personal account. I don't give a shit. At S-O-C-M-A-L-P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. Uh, and Darcy actually said earlier that it would be completely fine if you tweeted at her a lot using the hashtag Bank of Ages. She'd really appreciate it. So, Bank of Ages. Dan Allegretto's. That's how you say Dan's last name? I don't know. Dan Allegretto, hashtag Dan. He said that. <laughs> Great Twitter account. He said that watching, watching the new Twin Peaks is like going over to a Cokehead's house at 5.30 in the morning and listening to his SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really good. That's very, I haven't, very savage. Yeah. I haven't seen the new Twin Peaks. Oh, wait, but I did want to mention, yeah. I forgot to say it earlier, about the... um not being mean to per- people is that like that's the point of the book you know part of it where it's just like everyone's like going through their shit yeah and stuff but um yeah and also my dad forbid me and my brother from using put downs when we were 11 put downs yeah he was like no more put down because we were like mean to each other and then he was like no more oh yeah yeah putting the foot down yeah. on the put down put down did he say that no he uh he textured- he just you could text your dad after this if you want and just yeah. let him know that Yo you, you'd like to thank him for putting the foot down on the put down. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Sean. <laughs> I mean, the branding opportunity. Um, so the the book has gotten, I mean, I read the, and I'm glad that we waited a bit to do an interview about it because um, it was interesting to read all the 
other interviews that people did with you and understandably people are responding really quickly and asking mm-hmm. you questions and um frankly like i i personally don't give a shit how much of the book actually happened or what other stuff you made up but i did want to ask you about like as an author in writing like that like if like why is that the immediate response and is it because a lot of it came from like a personal twitter account and i mean of course you're going to be projecting here like making mm-hmm. an assumption but i'm just curious too because you have you know there's so many people that go up on stage and do comedy or other people who write or other people who do this and even if it's in kind of even if it's in the first person voice or something mm-hmm. there's like a pretty like people understand like to, to separate between like a character and something else even if there are hints of that person's autobiographical life in it or something yeah. and I, I don't i'm curious if you have a now that the dust has settled and you kind of oh, asked yeah. it so many times where did Darcy end and the character begin? Like, mm. I'm more interested. I don't care yeah. about that. I'm more interested in why do you think people are responding in that capacity to it? Yeah. Um, I think the part, I mean, part of it is like that I'm a girl and stuff. Um, and then also. I was kind of leading you there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think you're right, though. Yeah, that's no. clearly like, part of it. I was a dude, they would be like. But then um, I think another part of it, you know, like the social media thing. But then I keep, yeah, I kept on having you explain that, like, I didn't write a tell-all gossip book, like the right. way that people would, the way that people would buy, like, a celebrity memoir. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is just, this is like a work. Like, the point of the book is not, like, guess what my uncle did. It's like, y- you know, it's like a thought-through type, yeah, piece of work. But I think also that the... um like I remember it, it it reminds me of like tweeting about something and then someone will be like that's not what happened and it's like yeah I'm not a reporter reporting <laughs> on like what is happening it's like not a it's not an autobiography it's not like 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 Twitter is not an accurate tool to report on so, like it's no it's like a something different no i change yeah, details exactly. on things that have happened yeah. in a tweet constantly because it fits the format better exactly and it's like funnier if this happened in a different order than the other thing yeah. or if if one step didn't happen before the person yeah. said this and and there's exaggeration it's just like if you weren't doing that no one would give a sh- like like no one is actually interested in your life they want to like they're interested in your perspective and your spin on it so like why would yeah, like, I don't care about the actual detail. I mean, I, I do, but, like, the actual details of what happened, but I'm more interested in, like, how my friend would be processing them and, like, making them into something. And so, but, yeah, I kept on getting that question, I think, or just, yeah, and also, like, the, the character's name is Darcy. It's like, yeah, who, who cares? But, um, yeah, I also think it's, like, the social media thing of people not recognizing it as, like, something that you, like, do that's not just what you're thinking, like, it's not like you drink a glass of water and that's like you you're doing it because you're a person but like the actual social media is not like necessarily as yeah i don't know where i was going with that glass of water simile metaphor thing (laughs) but it's just like not like it's thought about it's not an instinct you know yeah and i think too that it's like well i guess that presents a difficult thing too if you're if you're practicing a lot of the writing Mm -hmm. on online which is like understandable because you get an immediate response and you can kind of gauge things and and it doesn't mean that because something doesn't turn out to be popular a lot of people Mm -hmm. respond to it that it's that it's necessarily not something that you might use later that's um it doesn't seem like that's your gauge for what to include in something and uh but i think that it's also um i guess it's just sort of interesting in the capacity that it's assumed that everybody uses that platform the same way. And mm-hmm. then if you say something, uh, there's no reason that you can't say something sincere about like, let's say your perspective on like the Dakota access pipeline. Mm-hmm. Like you, like there's no reason yeah. that you can't be like, fuck this thing and yeah. fuck these companies. And then 15 minutes later, mm-hmm. say something that's like sort of insane and off the, you yeah. know, off the cuff that you can never s- happened. You can true. have several voices on like the same account and like they're different types of things. Like there doesn't need to be that. Yeah, and um, fuck, what was I going to say? Yeah, you can do different things with it. And, oh, but I, yeah, I think it's less and less. Like, I really think that it's dropped down. It's, like, changed a lot. Like, I don't think that anyone, I think that people, or maybe it's just my account and, like, my audience has changed. Also, I think the fake followers that someone sent me really throw people off because everyone's like, why are you, like, like, if I, like, someone, like, uh, people have angrily tweeted at me about, like, 
90,000 followers and I'm like I can't just be like someone sent me like it's not the time to be like no it's only half that but um of people I think people are really less interested or like less it's not I don't think it's no I think it's honestly no longer a place to like try things out and exaggerate that much anymore yeah because of the things that are happening that are fucked up where it's just like you know the timing reads I like I think it's changing like that which is why i'm less into twitter i think it's like le- being able to use it as a notebook less and less mm-hmm. and stuff are you doing um oh. now because you use that as kind of a preliminary platform are you approaching writing really differently this time around like now that you've put something oh. out are you keeping a moleskin <laughs> oh my god my, my moleskin. i have the same i bought my it my moleskin runneth over <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i'm gonna start a store called that yeah where it's just it's just moleskins moleskins <laughs> soaking wet and they're already like they're already distressed that people mm-hmm. were like oh you must have gone to socrates sculpture park and been riding on the mm-hmm. grass and a wave came in it's just a, it's a really loved it's a <laughs> loved book i dumped six kool-aids on it <laughs> yeah you can change them depending on what you soak them in um <laughs> i have the same notebook for like a year because i never i started using evernote but yeah i'm less um, I really had a reckless Twitter account for very long. <laughs> like, I was super reckless. Um, not, like, in a, like, not, like, bad. Like, I, you know, just, like, very personal things very flippantly. Yeah. Or, like, jokes and stuff like that. Because um, um, my job kind of allowed me to. Like, people get it. They knew who they are hiring. But, um, and then, yeah, I think that since uh, the world is getting a lot worse and different, it's, like, happening less. So I'm doing a lot of stuff like less online and then i remember like a few years ago i mean probably too late in my life like i think people had this like realization earlier that like when you're communicating with someone it's like communicating and you're not just like confessing like you're not you know like be like think about what you're saying to someone yeah um and like a purpose of having like doing the twitter and stuff so now i'm also like just trying to like kind of get off twitter so like doing other things but yeah i mean for me the space has changed so that the way i wrote this book i could never do it again like it's not the same website i'm not the same person and like people are using it really differently like people are super into like screenshotting and coming after you for like for not giving you the benefit of the doubt and stuff like that um where everyone is like and yeah so it's like no longer like a playful place so i'm trying to do things that are more thought out or just like kind of other types of things like I know like I kind of I mean it's also kind of just like what am I uh, trying to accomplish like now that all these bots I think the bots kind of stopped but now that there's all the bots where it's just like I can't measure progress anymore yeah like sometimes a tweet will do well but I can't measure like followers or anything so I'm just like well I don't know it's also like less thrilling like yeah i'm not well you're you're doing the stuff out in the world a lot more now i mean you've yeah. been reading a lot um and thank you for the times that you've come and read some of your book and stuff that i put together and it seems like you're trying this stuff out much more in a different type of space and it must be interesting to kind of think like you said this is this window of time that things happened and now you're um like you said you stopped drinking and if mm-hmm. i'm not mistaken you're vegan no. oh my god <laughs> oh oh put that yeah no. um but no but only just a your, month vegan though no i'm just only a month. i'm just i do yeah i'm just giving you grief but <laughs> but i mean it's interesting to think about now you're doing this very different approach to going out and kind of like putting mm-hmm. this information in a different context where like a uh, a social media post might seem flippant or something but to see you read in person and talk about um it's interesting which parts of the book you choose to read in different contexts because you know how they're received is you're gauging it in real time and you're Mm -hmm. also a different person now and it's the irony of the book's title and then thinking about the person who's going out and kind of reading it is like almost like you've like birthed this thing out Mm -hmm. that was like desiring to get to like this point or that point and then now you're kind of going around and being like hey here's my like yeah here's my story oh yeah not to not to do this but i'm gonna do it but there's a line in it that's just like hey i made this thing that I one time liked, but then became an accurate representation of myself, which I do not like. And then like that, like yeah. something like that, that I was like thinking about, but I do, I, I think I like the book. I don't really hate myself as much as I did at one point, but yeah, it's weird reading. I do like, um, I'm a, like I remember, oh shit. I remember for BHQFU, I did like a, 
like a like a book of fictional Craigslist posts a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. The first time I read was you at read the it at it. Yeah. yeah, and I was so nervous that I had to like <clears throat> I drank like a forty, like not a forty, but like a tall boy before because mm-hmm. I couldn't speak in front of people. And now I'm like fine, which is crazy. So now I'm and I'm like yeah. So like the idea of like speaking or just like performing is like more like I'm. Um, I like the idea of it more, and I like doing other stuff and it's very different from twitter and i'm like less into the whole projection of the internet that is like just i mean it's inherent in every part of the world but i'm just kind of like i don't know kind of like bored of it um but yeah also the the things i read change from thing to thing and also like i went back to purchase and i did it and it was on an actual stage like that mitski later performed on so like that type of like music thing which was just like it was really weird. I, 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 I have never been in that situation and there was no feedback with like, I mean, there was rel- like people laughed and stuff, but yeah. there was not like the back and forth. Like, I feel like I really like, like I, I like having conversations with people, but when it's a group of people and I'm just responsible for leading them, I'm just like, like it's hard without the feedback. And so that was really strange. Yeah. But, um, but it's, it's great because you sort of think about, you know, if the book was both this, window of time in your life and also a bunch of it is sort of these exaggerated or fictionalized or whatever Mm -hmm. versions and it doesn't again the question of whether or not it was you or is you is Mm -hmm. actually less important maybe that's why reading it is so much easier now reading in front of people because you're looking at a character regardless of whether this or that micro thing did kind of happen Mm -hmm. or this part didn't there's a distance there and i think that that's probably pretty interesting because instead of it being in real time of putting it out bit by bit mm-hmm. you've got this like bound volume that's yeah. just like these are statements that i made that were published and put into this thing and that's you know that's what a book is and then you can go around and read it and kind of be like oh i'm like actually a little bit not divorced from it because it's hyper autobiographical and you're obviously the character but you've changed but also just like it's work that you did and yeah. a story that you invented and a thing that you put together that now is um it's just like canon Oh my god! You know, oh my god. <laughs> no, but it's out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there will be that's is really cool, and that also, um, yeah. Sorry to say this, but that's how I made. Like, that's how I like learned. Like in like, it's also weird bringing up like film school when talking about it because like I don't really make films anymore. So it's kind of just like, oh, the guy that like the chemistry teacher that used to be in a band and is like telling his high school students, but just <laughs> like that's how I made um, films. I would just shoot documentary stuff of me and my friends and then I would um I would do interviews that were mostly scripted but they were they would be me scripting out a conversation that I had had with the person so they were obviously shot for like they weren't um they were obviously like an interview for a documentary but they were pretty casual and they were just repeating what the person had said at one point but stressing a thing and then I would edit them together and it would be a mixture of just like you know cinema verite and then these like scripted interviews and there was kind of like about me but not about me and like that's pretty similar to the book and like especially the editing process where I like kind of had an archive of stuff to go back to but then would also write things very specifically for the book to fill in holes and like finding that and like that's that's why I think it's like a cool I think it's cool to have like a time capsule like I look back at these films and I'm like it's very visceral memories and that's I feel like art that i like captures a time that's probably why pe- i mean people use the verb w- to write they use they say writing in in stand-up comedy in mm-hmm. putting film together in writing books and things like that and a lot of it comes down to especially the stuff that's sort of interesting or you know lack of a better word like avant-garde or, or however people are trying to think about just shaking up a medium um a lot of it comes down to like cut and paste stuff and that's oh, that's yeah. certainly there's a long history of that in cinema and also writing but it's um you know you're just of a different generation who's doing it now and so mm-hmm. the approach is slightly different and where you're culling the material from um i guess the kind of funny sort of interesting thing is that some of it is made public beforehand yeah. and then somebody comes to it and tries to see like oh these are the parts of a greater whole yeah and which that's i think only i was thinking about that part because i was like i kind of get annoyed when i've seen things like but i know that it's just me being annoyed at entertainment i think that happens in like comedy a lot with like people working out bits but not as much in other places yeah huh that's really good food for thought and it's like yeah i think uh yeah i think i want to wrap there i cool. like that yeah sick thanks darcy <laughs> you were the first guest this is 
Hey, hey, Sean, thanks. Yeah, thank you for coming, and thanks for writing your book and sharing it with the world. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, we'll keep everybody posted when you have stuff coming up. Hey, thank you so much. Big fan. Big fan. <laughs> hope, hope you liked it. I hope you liked me talking. Thanks, Darcy. Thanks.